Wow. Um, recording in progress. It's great. Okay. So um, we're going to talk about love today. And, um, you know, I, I've spent the week, you know, trying to understand uh, and explain uh, what Jesus is saying to us uh, in this passage. But um, I've, I've been reminded just that, that love is really more substantial than knowledge, than understanding. Love itself is, is more substantial than my understanding of what uh, is going on in this passage. I think of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul writes, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So we're going to be talking about love, but I just thought we'd start by, by praying uh, for us that we would uh, know Jesus' love for us uh, in a real way and uh, be filled with his love, that it would, would fill us up and, and pour out. And I, I'm going to pray using um, Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, and uh, just changed a little bit for us for a prayer this morning as we start. So let's pray together. Father, from your glorious riches, please strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Please root us and establish us in love. Give us power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Help us know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. Well, um, we are in the sermon series called A Few Last Things, and we're going through chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night that he will be betrayed and then tried and the next day crucified. And last week I said that I was going to do a kind of a, a two-part uh, message, a two-part message in two weeks. Um, and so you're free to go back and listen to the podcast. Um, I did re-record the part that I forgot to record. So you can listen to it all on the podcast. And um, But I thought I'd just recap a little bit of what we were talking about last week. <laughs> Um, we looked at John chapter 15, verses one to eight, and probably the key verse was, uh, uh, verse five, right in the middle where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. And we said that fruitfulness to the glory of God is possible only when we abide in Jesus. And apart from such abiding, we wither and die, but in him, we not only live, but we can be very fruitful. Our lives can produce the most meaningful and good kind of things, things that represent God's goodness on earth. And we said that abiding in Jesus means being filled with the spirit and being immersed in his words, uh, immersed by obeying his words, um, by having faith in him, and also by you know, meditating on his words, studying, delighting, rejoicing, all these things that the Psalms talk about. So that's what we in brief, what we talked about last week. This week, we're, we're going to continue in this theme of abiding or remaining, which was a really key word last week. Um, but the image of the branches remaining in the vine uh, 
we don't see this week, but it's still in the background. So we're not going to talk about that much this week, but it's still in the background, this idea that a branch only produces fruit when it's in the vine. Uh, but this idea of abiding is, is very much uh, with us this week. So why don't we read from John chapter 15, uh, verses 9 through 17. Jesus says to his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we're not going to hit on everything in this passage. Some of the things really closely parallel what we talked about last week. Um, but I want to focus on uh, Jesus' focus on love here. And the image that helps me kind of hear what Jesus is saying is the, the image of, of a river, of, of a stream that is love. And the stream flows from the Father to and through the Son to and through us to one another. Jesus is loved by his father and he remains in his father's love by obeying his commands. And in obedience to the father, Jesus laid down his life for us, the ultimate act of love. And then we are to remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. And this is his command, that we love one another. See how it's love from the Father to the Son, to us, to each other. There's a love stream that's, that's flowing from God, and it has hit us in, in the cross, in Jesus' death for us. And now the call is to abide in that love stream by letting that love flow through us to one another. So we're going to start with the easy question, what is love? <laughs> What is love, though? It's, this whole passage is all about love. Um, what is it? Is it unconditional acceptance? Is it conflict avoidance? Is it just tolerance and peace? How Jesus defines love is that he defines um, the ultimate superlative example of love. And he says that in, in John chapter 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend, for one's friends. So ultimate superlative love is literal self-sacrifice for another person. And Jesus is the example of this kind of ultimate love. He's speaking these words to his disciples just a few hours before he's going to be betrayed, tried, and then crucified. And he's going to undergo this suffering willingly for us for the sake of sinful people he's about to do the greatest love 
And then he commands his disciples to love each other as he has loved them. So the love that Jesus calls us into is to imitate his ultimate example of love. And if the greatest love is laying down one's life for friends, then love as a whole has to always mean self-sacrifice or at least self-giving in some way for other people. And this is the stream that we are invited into to receive this self-sacrificial love given for us and in response to give such a love. There's one other picture that Jesus uses uh, in this passage parallel to this picture of love, and it's also relational. And it's the picture of friendship. He tells his disciples not only that he's loved them, but that they are his friends. And the image first comes up uh, when Jesus says that the one who loves the greatest lays down his life for his friends. And then he says, and you are my friends. And just in that transition, I think he's pointing forward to his own coming act of love. He is going to lay down his life for his friends, for his disciples who are with him. And then he starts to explain what he means by this friendship. And the language he uses speaks of, of intimacy. He makes a distinction between friends and servants. He says, you know, servants don't know what their master's up to. But, but friends do know what their friends are up to. Friends share their hearts and their plans with one another. And this is the intimacy that Jesus says he now has with his disciples and that they have with him. And as with um, remaining in Jesus' self-sacrificial love, Jesus says we also remain in his friendship, in this intimacy, as we obey his commandments to love one another. So these two parallel ideas, self-sacrificial love and intimacy in friendship that we remain in by obeying Jesus' command to love one another. So let's look at, at, at how this goes from the beginning uh, to the end and, and what it looks like for us. The first thing I think we need to um, just note is that the origin of the love stream isn't us. It is the Father. It is God the Father through, through the Son to us. And it comes to us in Jesus' death. Jesus' love is the greatest love. He laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says, I have loved you. He's not saying, you know, if you do the right thing, uh, then maybe I'll love you. But the idea is that Jesus' love is a done deal. It, it comes first and it is a fact. And it's that scene in, in his death on the cross. I love what Paul says in, in the book of Romans, chapter five, verses six to eight. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, it wasn't anything that, that we did. Uh, we didn't start this. While we were powerless, while we were sinful, that's when Jesus loved us and died for us. First John uh, also emphasizes this, this fact that, that our love uh, isn't primary, but rather God's love is primary. We'll see more of 1 John in a little bit. Um, although neither the Gospel of John or 1 John actually mentions the name John, 
there's there's so many uh, similar themes in them both that it it just it, it seems like it, these are written by the same people. And so as we uh, look through this passage in the Gospel of John, we'll also be looking at First John a little bit to to kind of flesh it out a bit. And this is what First John says in First John four verse ten: "In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son." to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We're not the ones who start love. The love starts, excuse me, with God, with, with Jesus, with his sacrifice for us. I think this idea um, that it starts with God, it starts with the Father and the Son, uh, is also seen in how Jesus talks about friendship. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Uh, for for the original disciples, that would have probably felt really specific. You know, they each of them were called by Jesus at a specific time uh, and chosen to be his disciples. And then also each of them were chosen specifically to be his apostles, his sent ones, uh, those that he chose to go out uh, specifically and represent him to the world. But the same idea is true of us, isn't it? That we didn't start this intimacy or this relationship with Jesus, he chose first. He was the one who took the initiative to choose us and to appoint us to go and produce fruit. So Jesus is the one who gave himself for us when we were still sinners, when we were still powerless, and he is the one who chose us to be, chose to have us be his friends. Since self-sacrifice and the intimacy start with him, start with the Father, through the Son, through Jesus. But there seems to be an aspect in our passage um, that's apparently conditional on us, isn't there? Not that Jesus' love for us uh, waited for us to do something. No, he has loved us. That's done. We've said that. But there's this thing that Jesus says, too, that if you could keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And he says, again, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. So although Jesus has loved and chosen us first, he calls us to remain in that love and friendship by keeping his commands and loving one another. To kind of flesh this out a little bit more, uh, as I said, we're going to look at the, the book, the letter of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Um, I'm reading the New Revised Standard. You can read in whatever along if you want or just listen. And this is what John writes. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the verse I just read. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. I want to just highlight three ideas that come up in 1 John that I think help us to get a better idea of what Jesus is saying, that we uh, remain in his love, remain uh, in his friendship by obeying his command to love one another. I think John gives, um, first John gives, gives three different, different ideas here. The first is, is that of identity, 
that God is love. It's a, it's a famous verse. We've heard it before. God is love. God is love as the one who gives himself sacrificially. So the idea that John's saying is that since God is love, the people who know God are people who love each other. He says, you can't, you can't say you know God if you don't love one another because God is love. It's an identity thing. Abiding in the one who is love means loving as he loves. We can't say we know God if we don't love one another. John's second uh, picture is, is the idea of obligation or, or response. He says, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. John writes that because we've received such an enormity of love from God through Jesus on the cross, we have an obligation to love one another. For people who have received such a love, the only fitting response is to give love. To give love. In fact, we're, we're obliged to give love. And the last image that Jesus gives is, is or sorry, that John gives here in 1 John is, is that of perfection. He says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. And I think this image uh, goes nicely with, with that idea of, of the love stream, uh, that the love starts with the Father through the Son to us, and it's brought to completion. It's brought to maturity. It's brought to perfection through our love for each other. So when we obey Jesus' commandment to love one another, we abide in the God who is love, we respond to his sacrifice for us, and we bring to completion the love begun in him. We bring it to completion, to maturity, to perfection. So we already talked a little bit about it, but what does this love look like then for us? Just want to highlight two things. Uh, there's obviously lots of things that could be said, but one that it's it's sacrificial love or giving love, and secondly that it's for one another. Um, first, it's 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 sacrificial or or giving love. It's giving of ourselves. You see this in in Jesus. He died. He died for us. He did something. Uh, he did the ultimate thing. His love is is practical in that sense. And it's sacrificial. It's giving of himself. And there are lots of degrees of, of sacrifice or giving of ourselves. And uh, laying down one's life uh, literally is obviously the, the highest degree of this. But, but I think all love that, that resembles Jesus' love that he calls us into is, is sacrificial. It's when we give of ourselves for other people. The second uh, thing that I want to highlight is that we're called into love for one another. Um, the, the love we're called into in Jesus is big. It, it, it does extend to everyone, even to enemies. That's clear. But like our passage, a lot of passages in the New Testament highlight that we are to love each other. Excuse me. That we are to love our brothers and sisters. In Jesus. We've, we've seen this already earlier in, in our series in John chapter 13, 34 to 35, where Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love.
for one another. He's picturing the, the world watching and seeing this group of people and saying they'll know that we're Jesus people if we love one another practically and self-sacrificially. We seem to be living in a world right now uh, that's very cruel. You know, people who, who think differently from other people are, are, just, are just kind of, you know, lambasted with hate on the internet. Or, um, you know, people who have behaved badly in a way that, that maybe we think we wouldn't have, uh, they're turned into instant enemies. And I, I listened to a podcast a, a while back um, with a, a Christian. He was a pastor and, and still a speaker and writer, Francis Chan, um, a while back. And the guy, the guy running the podcast, you know, mentioned this, this polarization that's happening in society. And he said, he said, and the church is, has, has, has gotten it too, haven't they? They've, they've been susceptible to this polarization. They've, they've joined in. And Francis's response was, he said, actually, the church really led the way in that kind of polarization. So we were doing it first. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a sad historical truth. Obviously, there's lots of polarization that happens at different times, but, but there has been this history in the church of people getting at one another, being polarized, and turning those who disagree with them uh, into enemies. But Jesus says that when we don't turn one another into enemies, but when we love each other sacrificially, like he's loved us, we show the watching world that we're his disciples. And that's why it's so important for us to prioritize loving, uh, as, as Peter writes, loving one another deeply from the heart. First Peter uh, 1.22. We love one another deeply from the heart. And one another is big, and uh, that's why it gets hard. One another is huge. It's global. You don't get to pick and choose who is part of one another, who's part of the church. Uh, it can make that, this kind of love hard. But it's the love we're called into as those who say we know the God who is love. And for those who have received Jesus' sacrifice for us. So we're going to go into some discussion questions. Um, I know it's only five, five minutes and I, I can give uh, too many questions perhaps, but this is just to whet your appetite and to, to get talking. And the questions uh, are, what are some practical ways that you can sacrificially love the one another, brothers and sisters in Jesus, in your context? Maybe not just in Jubilee, maybe outside that. And then how might the love of Jesus for you be made more real uh, as, as a motivator? So uh, Becky can send us off into our rooms and we'll, we'll talk about those. I think they're in the chat. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> just for the rest of our, our, our time, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about this idea that comes up a couple times of, of commands and, um, and obedience to commands. It's, it's, it's there the whole way through. And um, it's beautiful because we see that Jesus says, well, my command is, is love one another. Um, but I think we can still struggle with it sometimes. Um, we have this video, home video of my sister's ninth birthday party and, um, and she hates watching it. Uh, 
because I think she feels that she may appear in that video as a friend who says to her friends, you are my friends if you do what I command. And um, it's, it's not usually the, the kind of friendship we want, is it? <laughs> Doesn't feel equal. <laughs> it's limiting of our freedom. It's putting one friend above the other. And, um, and I don't suggest that you, you know, enter that kind of friendship with anyone, except Jesus, <laughs> except Jesus. We usually connect commands, I think, with, with drudgery, with limitation, with a lack of vitality and life. We're weighed down. But Jesus does something really different. And I don't know if you notice this in the midst of all this talks about love, talk about love. He says, um, he connects his commandments with joy, not with drudgery, but with joy. He says, I've, I've said this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, may be complete, or that may be full, rather. Joy and obedience aren't two concepts, I think, that we typically tie together. Uh, but again, yeah, Jesus states that the reason he is telling his disciples to obey his commandments is that they would experience his joy. And that their joy would be full. So, what was Jesus' joy? This is one of last week I mentioned there's these threads that go through this discourse. This is one of those threads, and this is this is where it starts in the discourse. And we'll see it a couple different times. This, this talking about, about joy and joy being full. I think what we see in, in our context here is that Jesus has a joy in relationship to his father. In obedient relationship to his father, he is full of joy. Um, we sang some songs uh, about, about the Trinity earlier. Uh, and and it's, it's this concept that's really hard to articulate. Um, this three-in-one God. That's what we're saying. The three-in-one, he is Yahweh. Um, this three-in-one God. But, but there's, there's beauty in it. And, and it brings us to worship. Where here we see Jesus, the Lord of all, finding joy in actually being submissive and obedient to his father. Because, of course, his father is love and is the source of all goodness. And Jesus desires that we would experience the joy of relationship with God. And that relationship is only true when we obey his commandments and remain in his love, loving one another. I've used this illustration in another uh, message that I've given here, uh, but I, maybe I've been maybe I've done enough messages now that I can start looping them. It was a few years ago, so here we go. But um, I, I just think it illustrates uh, this idea well. Anyway, it's it's from the first Avengers film, um, and uh, just that villain of villains, Loki. Uh, what a complex villain! But he sees himself as a god, and he comes to Earth and. He sees the people of earth as those who ought to worship him. And he comes to Germany and he, and, he, and he says to this crowd of people, he says, kneel before me. I said, kneel. And then he crashes his scepter on the ground and everyone starts kneeling. And Loki says this, he says, is not this simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. And then an old man from the crowd stands up from kneeling and says, not to men like you. 
And then Loki smiles. There are no men like me. And then the old man says, there are always men like you. And I love the old man's response. I think it's perfect because it actually doesn't contest Loki's premise uh, that we were made to kneel, but it strongly contests his person, contests kneeling to the person of Loki. Because I, I think Jesus would agree with part, part at least of the premise of Loki. He would agree with Loki that our joy is not found in autonomy. It's not found in just unlimited freedom and this mad scramble for power or for identity. Jesus says that joy is found in obedience, in keeping the commands of the Father and in keeping Jesus' commands. But of course, it's not found in obedience to some villain like Loki. It's found in obedience to the God who is love. Jesus invites us into a relationship of submission, dependence, and obedience. And, and this can grate against our culture, I think. Um, you know, we can just kind of listen to the speech of Loki and just say, no, we weren't made to kneel. But, but this is what Jesus invites us into, not to Loki, of course, but to the God of love, uh, a relationship of submission, dependence, and obedience. The one to whom we're invited to obey and abide in is the God who is love the one who gave his son for us, the son who gave himself for us. And Jesus says, says that the way to the kind of joy that he has is by obeying his commands, by obeying his command to love and therefore abiding in his love. The joy of Jesus is sacrificial and submissive. but. He says, it's the fullness, both of love and the fullness of joy. And Jesus says, this is why I'm saying these things to you. The joy that I have would be in you and that your joy would be full. So we're going to go into discussion one more time and talk about these questions. Do you find it difficult to connect obedience or submission with joy? And what's your initial response to Jesus' invitation to experience his full joy? We were just, I hope you guys had a good discussion. We were just saying that, um, yeah, just having obedience be a motivation to love each other almost feels wrong, but it's, it's, it's part of what Jesus gives as this, as this motivation uh, that we are to submit ourselves and to obey. So hopefully you guys could talk through the different cultural things that are against this idea and um and yeah i think we can find more and more joy <laughs> as we step into this um so uh, in conclusion today jesus is the one who has loved us first he gave himself sacrificially for us when we had done nothing for him and he commands us to love one another as we abide in the god who is love as we respond to Jesus' sacrifice for us, and as we bring to completion the love begun in him. And he invites us into his full joy through keeping his commands, just as he has joy in keeping his father's commands. Let's pray.